0: If you've got your Bible, uh, or you want to look on the screen, James chapter 3, and beginning in verse 1, it says this. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Lord, we thank you just for this day. Thank you for your word. And Lord, as we walk through this, Lord, we want to come with open hearts to receive your truth. And ultimately, God, uh, guide us by the power of your Spirit to be transformed and to be the men and women that you've called us to in this city, knowing that as we uh, share the light of Jesus Christ in this city, we are ultimately reaching the world. We're in the most diverse city in the U.S. We see the nations all around us. We have to go out of our ways to be in a place with only people that look like us. And so, Lord, we know that if we are living on our faith, it will ultimately reach across boundaries, across borders, from nation to nation, people to people, across economic boundaries, and well, we want to be a part of that. pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, in 1870, uh, there was a German scientist by the name of Erich von Wolff who was conducting some research experiments on the amount of iron that can be found in spinach and other vegetables. Uh, And he discovered that spinach had an iron content of about 3.5 milligrams per 100 gram serving. However, when uh, Von Wolf was writing up his findings, he misplaced the decimal point. And he put down spinach's iron content 10 times greater than what it actually was, at 35 milligrams of iron per 100 gram serving. Uh, instead of 3.5, and it wasn't until 1937 that somebody double-checked Wolf's math, spotting the error, and unfortunately by then, the movement to get young people to eat iron was solidified with the character of Popeye the Sailor Man. This cartoon was established, it had gone out, and all the way up into when I was a kid watching Popeye the Sailor Band and everybody telling me, eat your spinach, that will make you strong. It was all a lie, y'all. Throw spinach out. It's trash. It's a trash trash vegetable. It needs to go somewhere. Uh, it's an imposter. It, it looks leafy and it just doesn't taste good when you when you warm it up. It smells kind of like uh, tr- trash. It just smells like trash. I had a friend of mine, Kurt Freeman, uh, that used to I used to work on staff with and he used to want to eat his spinach intake for the day. Based on this lie, this mistake, this decimal point mistake, uh, that it was good for you. So he used to take a bunch of spinach and microwave it down until it got into one scoop and then he'd put that whole scoop in his mouth and eat it for the day. It's like, I did my iron for the day. I was like, I don't know. I think the residue of whatever is good is inside that plastic thing that you microwaved in the in in the little microwave oven. But I sell this to say that just a slight mistake can or a slight difference can have massive implications as people that have lived on this side of Popeye the Sailor Man, uh, then you can understand the reality that these things have big implications. Just moving a decimal point over can have a huge implication. And within that, I, I think as we talk about our speech and the words that we say, little things can have a massive impact. Small words that we say, even the sarcastic things that we say underneath our breath that we don't think anybody is listening to can have a cascading effect on people's lives. And ultimately say more about who we are than what we would actually like to admit. And so today, we're going to walk through this passage of Scripture. We're going to talk about our speech. It might be a little bit awkward and uncomfortable uh, for us a little bit because there's not a person here, no matter how nice or sweet they are, that doesn't regret things that they've said. There's not a single one of us that doesn't have to be careful of the things that we say. There's not a single one of us that hasn't been angry and lashed out and talked back or, or said something rude and sarcastic or vengeful to somebody that ultimately has had an impact on their lives. And if we're really honest with ourselves, a lot of the insecurities that we, we, we have, a lot of the uh, pain that we have, has more so to do with things that people have said to us. So we recognize that the things that we say and the people, things that people say to us have great effect. And so today we just want to look at a couple of things. First of all is this, because our words have power, first of all, our speech is critical to our witness. Our speech is critical to our witness. In these first couple of verses, he gives out a warning where he talks about uh, don't try to be a teacher because if you are one, if you stand up and uh, teach the word of God, there is a higher standard that you are held to. Like, no, 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 we're not, you know, we're not trying to discourage you, except that he kind of is. But I mean, like, to depress you is what I'm really trying to say. That ultimately, like, teachers have a higher standard that they are held to. Now, keep in mind with this higher standard, it doesn't mean that like, Less that, that less is expected of people as Christians. So what do I mean when I say this? Sometimes, and we've talked about this before, we act like there are levels of Christianity where there's like levels of faith where you can, that are like acceptable for you. So if you're a leader, you know, watch what you say. Um, you know, don't sleep around. You know, don't cuss people out. Don't steal. But that's if you want to be a super Christian or a leader. The rest of us can just come to church on Sundays and then do whatever we want the rest of the week. That's not, that's not the, how this works. So everybody is actually called to holiness. But within that, those people who have a position of leadership and in particular one of teaching the word of God and standing in front of people hold a higher or have a higher level of accountability. And ultimately, as James is talking to the early church here, we see that ambition was ultimately leading some people with impure motives to want to seek critical roles of leadership within the church without thinking about the implications of what that meant for them and the standard that they were going to be judged by. And so he starts off by warning people. But then he, he detours from that in verse 2, and he begins to talk about our general... Um, the, the general struggle that we all have with our speech. In verse 2, "...for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body." And he keeps going in verse three when he says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And so uh, all of us have this struggle with speech. All of us have struggles with the things that we say, the anger, the bitterness, the sarcasm. And that really hurts me because sarcasm I thought was my spiritual gift for so long. But the reality is, is that like, no, the whole Proverbs about like a fool is somebody who says, I'm just kidding. I'm like, oh. Man, that's like the whole way that we talk today. But the reality is is that if we reflect on our speech, what we'll begin to see is that from our heart, our mouth speaks. And this is the problem with speech, because ultimately, as we reflect on who we are and what we say, what we say is going to say more about who we are than anything else. What's in your heart is what you talk about, is what you say. And and, and, and when you're angry, when you say those things, it came from somewhere. You can't say, well, no, I didn't mean to say that. No, you meant it. You thought it. You just accidentally slipped out. And the issue isn't even that you said it. The issue is actually what's in your heart. That's a reflection of what's in you. And so ultimately, our tongue reflects our character. We just talked about last week faith without works is dead. What does the work of our speech say about our faith? But it's not just that, if we keep going, we see the tongue's potential in verses four through six. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilots uh, directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among other members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell, like James is going in. He's got a lot to say about this. And what becomes interesting is that size isn't what determines the outcome. There are certainly larger muscles in our body. Like our brain is larger. You got biceps and triceps and, you know, abs, or at least you hope to have those in some kind of discernible way. You know, like, like, like there are certainly bigger muscles. And here's the part that's crazy. You could be a genius, able to understand all the mysteries of this world, able to comprehend everything about the laws of thermodynamics and gravity and inertia and, and be a, an incredible scientist. But if your tongue is not in check, then it doesn't matter. You could be incredibly strong. You could lift muscles and be a great athlete. Uh, everybody in the sports world, uh, well, at least in the basketball world, is going crazy because this past week uh, there was a French basketball team uh, playing. Uh, Some high school uh, team here in Las Vegas, I believe it was. And it was this big game. And and in there, there was a French basketball player whose name I cannot pronounce. Uh, It was like Wimbenyagu or something like that. Anyway, this French basketball player who's going to be in the NBA draft this upcoming year is 7'5". He shot seven of 11 threes. And like pulled up, like, like, like they, they literally are saying that his stroke, the scouts are saying, his shot is, is about as pure as Steph Curry's. Which is as crazy, because Steph Curry is considered to be the greatest shooter in the history of the NBA, but he dribbled the ball like a point guard. It was crazy, he was like, Doing spin moves and in between his legs, and then they were like, not just that, he was blocking shots. So normally you'd be like this big guy who like can shoot, but doesn't play defense. But he's like legitimately a seven-five center who who can like run like a gazelle, block shots, and shoot threes from half court. It was insane. He's like 18 years old, and it's like this guy's gonna go into the NBA draft. In fact, there was an NBA scout that said that if a team was able by rules to trade all of their draft picks for the next 10 years every team in the NBA would do it to get this guy. It's like, this is crazy. Man whose name I can't pronounce, French guy, it's gonna be exciting. And the crazy part, he was playing against this other guy that's like the number two guy, but he was like a regular looking point guard guy. Which is crazy because basketball players are tall, and the whole reason why I say like, you can have all the muscles, all the gifts, dunk, run like a gazelle, you know, jump over buildings, you can do all the things, but if like the things that come out of your mouth are trash, then it doesn't really matter. You can be gifted in all kinds of areas, and we see this all the time. You can uh, be an incredible actor, incredible singer, incredible whatever it is, but if the words that come out of your mouth are not life-giving, then it doesn't matter. Insert whatever celebrity that we just, eh. The reality is is that the things that we say have great power. So it's not about the size of the muscle. The tongue is a small muscle and not even one that's necessary for sustaining life. You could lose your tongue and keep living. And yet the the tongue and the things that you say will greatly determine the quality of life that you live. Which is why Proverbs 15.1 tells us a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The things that you say can either bring life or bring death. They can encourage or discourage. The things that you say, you can be known as somebody who's incredibly encouraging. Or you can be known as somebody that, you know, it is what it is. And if you can't think of that person, it's probably you. The reality for us is that our speech is critical to our witness. If we don't, if we're not mindful of the things that come out of our mouth, then what are we really doing? And so it's not just that. Because our, sp- our words are powerful, our speech is critical to our witness. But secondly, is that our speech must be consistent. It has to be consistent. Now, once again we begin to see that he talks about this, this whole thing as a wildfire that's growing out of control. But in verse 7, he takes it even further. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Our whole witness can be set on fire by our speech. And so we are ultimately uh, required, called to be consistent. Now when you deal with taming animals, how do you tame animals? By randomly, haphazardly, you know, uh, showing them the way that you want them to go? No, it's through consistency and discipline. And by the way, this is true of most things in life. Most things in life require discipline and consistency in order to to like grow in your in your ability it's something that i've been talking with my kids about now that my my daughter aria is doing gymnastics and uh, we've seen her now she's doing her competitions, and we're traveling. I'm being a gymnastics dad, uh, which is always really interesting. And the other gymnastics dads, um, there are more dads dropping off their kids uh, at gymnastics than you would think in the middle of the day. So here we are, you know, doing our things. And I see the other dads, and we're looking at our daughters, and, and they're they're running through things. But it's interesting because, like, uh, my, my daughter, she's come to love gymnastics. And it started off as just like a cute hobby and now it's just an obsession and now that she's got a comp- couple competitions under her belt and she, you know, she's done well in some areas and not in others but she, we had this gymnastics ba- like the bar and it's been sitting in the garage for a long time. And she never really used it until she went to competition. She saw other people do bar and she's like, I want to do better at bar. And now if you come to our house, the bar is like in the corner and we wheel it out. and We've got this mat and she's just always flipping on this bar. And the crazy part about it is this girl practices for three hours a day, a couple days a week. And even though it's like eight o'clock at night when she gets out of practice and we rush her home, it's like a school night and she's still got to eat dinner. because practice was from five to eight and it's like this whole thing and so like aria you gotta you gotta eat dinner but while her dinner is being warmed up she has the bar out and she's jumping on the bar and doing little flip not flips but doing turns and i don't know how to name the things that she's doing and so she's just constantly working and then she's got uh, baby power and vaseline sitting next to the bar ready like ugh, i need more of this and like i'm growing my calluses dad see like she's super excited about this because she recognizes even at five years old that if she wants to be good at gymnastics, she's going to have to consistently discipline herself. And so that's what she does. She sleeps and breathes gymnastics. She climbs on everything in the house. She doesn't go up the stairs. She climbs up the railing on the outside of the stairs, then like hooks over the rail and then climbs up on the other side. That's what she does everywhere that she goes. I've got to tell her to stop jumping on things, stop jumping on the furniture. If I'm not like watching her, I turn around and look, she does like a front flip off the couch or whatnot. She's just constantly doing these things Sometimes I see her doing a headstand on the couch with her feet up on the wall. I'm like, what is going on? But what my daughter has become to understand is that if she wants to be good, she's going to have to discipline herself. And if we want to have speech that is submitted, it's going to require consistent discipline. Not just avoiding that joke one time, but every time. In every conversation, in everything that we do, being prayerful and submitting our speech to the Lord. Obviously, James doesn't actually believe that you will reach perfection in this life. He understands the sum total of sanctification is is complete when we see Jesus face to face. But the goal for all things, by the way, is perfection. It's like, I know that, like, Jesus is when I'll be, you know, see him face to face and all things will be made right, you know, whatnot. But that doesn't mean, like, you know, so my fidelity in my marriage, eh, it's like, no, no, like, like, be faithful in all things. Like, oh, I know that I'm not going to be in heaven, like, it won't be perfect till I get to heaven. So, you know, I'll hit people some of the time whenever I feel like it. No, like, like, like anger and violence is a problem in this life now. You know, and so we're still striving for that. But what we ultimately see is that our speech needs to be consistent. And he begins to really lay it out in verses 9 where he starts talking about this reality that like you can't praise God and curse people at the same time. Like from the same place can't be praises that come from God. You can't literally say that Jesus is Lord and I love Him and I praise Him and I. You're a sinner in need of His grace and then also destroy people with your words. It reminds me when I was in high school. I I knew a guy in our high school. He walked up to a girl that was Jewish and he asked her like, "Do you really not believe that Jesus is the Son of God?" And she was like, "No, Uh, you know." She gave like he was a guy. I, I do think he existed, but he was just the guy. And then he was like, well, because you don't believe in him, you're going to go to hell. And then he laughed in her face and walked away. And, And here's the part that was crazy. I remember sitting down with this guy and being like, what are you doing, man? Like, like you can't claim Jesus, or at least if you're going to talk like that, could you put the Jesus rep a little lower? Because all of us are struggling in our evangelism because of the things that are coming out of your mouth. But then that scripture says, take heed lest you fall. Because I also had these moments where I treated people like trash and I said some things and I didn't need this guy's witness to ruin my witness. It was the things coming out of my mouth. And so like there has to be a consistency and we can't just be hypocrites and we can't just be upset that other people are hypocrites and slander them. By the way, that's half the problem that I see with all this stuff. Insert said preacher that you don't like or that has done something controversial. I will now spend the rest of my time on my Facebook feed just laying into them and saying things that I would never say to somebody face to face. It might be the place where we see what's in our hearts expressed the most on our social media. It's why we're constantly talking about the things that we post online. It's not literally just our speech, but the things that we type in 120 character or 40 characters or less, whatever Twitter is, the things that we share, literally will sit there and, 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 and take videos. Christians will take videos like, you know, pastor destroys trans activists. And you put that out there. I was like, I, I'm not here to destroy a trans activist. I want to share with them the love of Jesus Christ. What are we doing? Why do we do stuff like this? The very people that we, we click and post and reshare and all the stuff of the, the, this person destroys this person is the very person that's made in the image of God and that we are called to love and have compassion for. And ultimately, the fruit of what comes out of our mouth isn't supposed to be uh, judgment and critique. And by the way, I'm not saying that we don't say what God's word says. Mm-hmm. Like, that. Like just because, you know, like, like you're living in sin, like scripture calls us to speak into those things. But how we speak into those things is important. Remember, one of the things that we said a few weeks ago as we are walking through James is that being right requires you to say the right thing at the right time in the right way. And if you don't do that, which, by the way, you can only do if you're being led by the Spirit. If you don't do that, then you're wrong. Some of us are way too excited to point out other people's sin. And some of us are... We, we come down on folks as if we haven't had struggles before in our life. And praise and thanks be to God that God does not wait for us to be perfect, even when we are in Christ before we are used by Him. But what we say is ultimately supposed to, uh, the fruit that of, our, of our lips is supposed to be praise to God, not praise and also something else. And so there's some scriptures that I just want to briefly run through. If you want to write these down for your own devotional time this week, you can. The fruit of our lips. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips. Psalm 34, 1 through 3 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You can't do that and also curse people. (coughs) Psalm 50, verse 16 through 23 says, "But But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free reign for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent, yet... Thought that I, You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. God does not take lightly the things that come out of our mouth. Or the things that we post on social media, which is an extension of our mouth. Or the emails that we send to other, you know, coworkers. As we've said before, if you're about to start an email with, as per my last. As per is the big, you know, middle finger to the person that you're talking to. Never has anybody ever typed an as per and been, you know, happy about it. And the reality is is that if you, like, like, we're supposed to be mindful of the things that we say. And just to take it there, who you are is reflected in what you say. And if there's a discrepancy between the two, then you ought to consider whether you really are who you claim to be. As we just read in James 2, show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And so that leaves us in an interesting place here tonight, because I think that in reality, we are all in need of reflection of the things that we've said. And there might be some people that we need to call up and repent and ask for forgiveness and say, I am sorry for how I've treated you, what I've said, what I've done. There might be some posts that you need to take down. And not just some posts you need to take down, but I, I'm always like, if, if you blast it in public, you don't get to take it down in private. Now you have to say something about what you said. Now you shared it. That, that was it. And this is why, you know, it's funny. I, I've said this before. So many times things have happened and people have been like, Matt, aren't you going to jump on and say something? I was like, well, yeah, when I was younger, I did, but I'm not the pastor of Facebook. Like, I'm I'm not the the bishop of Instagram. I have no uh, uh, jurisdiction. I'm not here to like, uh, to go viral with things that I've said and shares. And I'm not gonna lie, it feels good when your share and like count and heart and all those things that they added, except for the anger. Like, the anger one, that's not good. But it feels good to see all that. And you find yourself, you post something and you're like, ooh, that was good. And your phone just keeps giving you notifications. Like, oh, yep, let me go look at it again. Oh, let me read more comments on oh, the comments on the comments and the comments on the comments on the comments. It feels good to have all of that. But I, as I've said before, and I've said it, I'll say it again, be mindful what you share and what, who's applauding you. Because mm-hmm. if you find that you're sharing stuff and only the angriest of people are the ones that applaud the things that you have to say, you might want to be mindful of the company that you're keeping. And more importantly, if you couldn't say to the face of the person that you're talking to, the thing that you're sharing, then you ought not share it. And then rewind again. If you're just a jerk and you would say something that rude to somebody's face, (laughs) then reconsider who you are. Because our words, the fruit of our lips should be praise. The fruit of our lips should be the great commission to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not, insert whatever, gossip, slander, anger, crude jokes, sarcasm. And if we are mindful of the things that we say, then we will see that our witness will be consistent. In a second, we're going to sing another song of worship and we'll have a time of response. And if you've got kids, you can go grab them and bring them in here. Uh, But I think... We all need to do some soul-searching about what God is calling us to. There's not a person here that hasn't said something that they regret. But the hope for us is that God's grace is here. And just like the people that are torn, that we tear down, that are made in God's image, we are also made in God's image. And he loves us and has poured out his blood for us on the cross. So there's forgiveness. There's nothing that we could have said or done that goes beyond the extent of God's grace. We just need to receive that. Let's pray. God, we thank you just for this day. We thank you for your blessings. And we thank you for um, this time in your word.